Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Before we get to the message, I want to encourage all of you who live locally to go online and sign up for one of our backyard barbecues this summer. Oaks Barbecues are your best opportunity to meet and make new friends at Oaks Church. To see all the available groups and sign up, visit oakschurch.com forward slash groups. Now, let's check out today's message. We're going to continue with the series, Go Your Place in God's Plan. Last week, uh, we walked through the Great Commission, and we talked about how each and every one of us are partners on this mission. It's a co-mission, and no one is excluded from it. No one gets to not go. We all are commanded to go. It was not a suggestion. It was a command. And there is this Interesting thing when you try to obey Jesus, it would be so easy to obey Jesus if it just didn't involve all the people that make us crazy, right? Church would be easy if it wasn't for people. Business would be wonderful if it wasn't for people, right? People can be the greatest blessing and the greatest thorn in our side from time to time. I I was on a ski trip a number of years ago with a bunch of my business friends and and uh, one of the friends I was with, I'm gonna, Jennifer won't let me give real names anymore, so I'm going to call him Dave. We'll call him Dave, all right? So Dave is a complete, like, engineer type, um, I mean, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. He, he would take these books, like, on cu- computer programming and engineering and astrophysics. I mean, he would read books this big and literally memorize them he, without any college education, self-taught, and went, and he was doing consulting, making 150 $175 an hour, and he never went to college and had no experience, and he would go in and do these, uh, these job interviews, and the people hiring him would be so impressed with him. He'd be, it was unbelievable, the intellect on this man. But even though he had a very, very high IQ, he had a very low SQ and EQ, which is your social quotient and your emotional quotient, and he wasn't very good with people. And we were on this ski trip and and he was honestly uh, he was a guy that I kind of tolerated. If I could just be honest, do you, you have anybody in your life that you tolerate? Okay, that's later in the message. We'll get to that, all right? But we, after skiing all day, went to some dinner, and we went to this pool hall, and we're just shooting some pool. Man, everyone's behaving, having a, just having a good time, and we ended up playing pool with these rowdy, rowdy people that were absolutely just wasted. I mean, outrageous, wild, crazy, and none of us were doing that. We were just hanging out and just shooting pool, and that's it, but I'm in there hanging out with these crazy people, and I'm high-fiving them, and I'm, I'm hooting and hollering with them, and all this kind of stuff, and, and, and again, I was on my best behavior that night, but I was just having fun with the, with the crazy drunk people, right, and so we literally leave this place and I had been a, kind of a, a witness to these other gentlemen that I was with on this trip. And so I was really doing my best to, to really show the love of God. And so we're walking out and this guy, Dave, it's not his name, Dave, <laughs> I really like to tell the truth, right? I don't, you know. So Dave, he goes, you know, Joel, I realized something about you tonight. I'm like, really? What's that? He goes, you actually like people. And I stopped, I stopped on the street, I turned around, I grabbed him by the shirt, I said, 
no, man, I don't like people. I love people. That's the whole point. That's the whole point of this. It's about loving people. See, it's hard to call yourself a Christian or a Christ follower and not love the people that he made. I've known people that would do anything. I mean, stop traffic, get out of the car to save a turtle. But wouldn't do a thing for a human. See, some of us, we, we literally were inspired and were invigorated by people. Others of us are drained by people. Some of us are very outgoing. Some of us are introverted. Some of us have a very much, I mean, there are certain ones of you that anybody could just walk in and come into your house at any moment. You're just, yeah, come on in. Let's, you know, other people are very private. We all interact and we all deal with people differently and we have different gifts and we have different personalities and God gave us all those different personalities. It would be so boring if we were all the same. The fact that we're different and unique is what makes it so beautiful and what makes it so incredible. But regardless, of our personality, regardless of our different uh, types of, 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 of attitudes or preferences or dispositions, we're all called to go love. All of us are called to go and love. I'm going to read you another version of the Great Commission. Uh, last week, we read the version out of Matthew 28. Today, I want to read the version out of Mark 16, verse 15. It says this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who, uh, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up servants. And they will drink uh, anything deadly. And it will by no means harm them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so then after that, the Lord had spoken to them. He was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, confirming the word through the, uh, I'm sorry, and uh, they went out preaching everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Go love. Jesus gave this command to his disciples who would later become apostles, but they literally were just his students. And they'd spent a few years with them and they'd been learning, but he literally the entire time had put them out on mission and would send them out to speak and to tell the message of truth. Do you know what the message of truth is? The message of truth is that God, it's easy guys, it's John three sixteen. almost all of us know this. God loved his creation. He loved the cosmos, the world, the people, the planet, everything. He loved so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. The message that we have, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a theologian. All you have to do is understand that it's simply through faith in Jesus Christ alone that you can come into an experience and come into a relationship with God, the creator of the universe, and you can spend eternity with him. He loves his people, and he's called us to go and love. We need to be people that take out the excuses and just go and just love everyone we possibly can. You know, it's easy. In fact, oftentimes it's easy. You may get questions that you don't know how the, you don't have the answer to, and you don't have to have all the answers. It's okay to say, you know what? I really don't know that. 
but I would love to set up a time for you to meet with one of my friends from my church and introduce them to Brandon or Stephen or Taylor or, or Tiffany or Teber or any, any of these different leaders that we have in our church. Guys, we would love to meet your friends. We would love to go have coffee. We would love to interact and engage with the people, but we can't connect with them unless you go, unless you love, unless you invite, unless you bring you know, some people are easy to love. Some people are hard to love. You ever had someone in your life that's hard to love? You ever had someone in your life that you would pray for, but when you would pray for them, you would pray that God would take them out of your life? I have. Even though I told you how much I love people, there are certain people that drive me nuts. Right? There are certain people, this one guy, I'm not going to tell you, some, half of you in the room know him. This one guy drove me so nuts, he was always right. He knew everything about everything. He'd done everything. He, he was so obnoxious, and he was so right, and he was so excellent at everything, and he wanted to make sure you knew it, and this dude just drove me batty. And I'm telling you, I prayed and prayed and prayed for him to be taken out of my life. I'm like, God, please. He's miserable. He doesn't want to be with me. He wants to be elsewhere. He wants to go do something else. Father, please answer his prayer and take him out of my life. He's driving me nuts. I can't take it anymore. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm his pastor, and this guy would drive me so nuts. I would literally tell, I would sit there, and he'd be, da, 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 da. I say, you know what, buddy? I say, you know what I need you to do? I need you to shut up. You are driving me nuts. I'm so sick and tired of you telling me nah, 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 nah. shut up dude. That's good pastoring right there. Oh, he drove me crazy. And, and one day I'm, I'm, I'm guilty guys. I'm guilty. This is what the Lord said to me as I'm praying for him to leave my get out of my life. God said Joel, he said his father rejected him. His uncles rejected him. His mom tried to kill him. He's been alone since he was a child. Every leader that's ever been in his life has rejected him and pushed him away. Are you going to push him away too? Because I thought I could trust you with this. Oh my God, I'm like, fine. <laughs> and I started literally taking the responsibility that if no one else does, I'm going to love this hard-to-love guy. If no one else does, I'm going to try to be a father figure to this guy who's never had it and he doesn't know how. And the Lord eventually, after I passed the test, answered my prayer and took him out of my life. <laughs> All in his timing. I'm just kidding. We still interact from time to time. And uh, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. But I had to find my place in his life. And so many times, guys, we, we have these things that we're, we're wanting someone else to do and someone else to handle. And God's over here going, I sent them to you. I gave them to you. I'm trusting you with this person. Jesus one time said in John 13, 34, he said, I'm, I'm going to give you a brand new command. Love one another. Did you know that in all the Old, the, the Old Testament, Jesus was the one that introduced the actual command to love one another. All the other rules of the Old Testament, for, for the most part, were based on, and, and they were connected into how to love people. Don't kill. That's a good one. Don't steal. Don't lie. That, I mean, there's a lot of good things. 
don't steal somebody else's wife. A lot of good things in there to, to love people. But Jesus just said that. He says, a new command, love one another. And this is how they'll know your mind. They'll see you loving each other. We've got to be the most loving people anyone has ever met. We got we to be so kind and so loving and, and so accepting that people literally look at us and go, and what, is, what is up with you? Why are you so nice? Why do you smile all the time? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I've got a lot to smile about. I have an experience. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's very real. And the number one command he gave is to love. So I'm just going to love you, man. I want to read you a verse that Jesus taught about folks that are hard to love. This is what he says in Luke chapter 6, 32. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. Verse 35 says, but love your enemies and do good and lend hoping for nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. God is so good that he's even kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore, watch this, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Judge not and you shall not be judged. Condemn not and you shall not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will it be put into your bosom or your, or your lap or your, as Randy says, your wallet, your billfold. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus in this passage teaches a powerful principle of sowing and reaping that most people when they look at this and most pastors when they teach this, they talk about the money part. But the money part was actually the last and even the least part. The money part is actually the only part you can measure. It's the only part you can quantify. It's actually the easiest part to pass. The giving, giving and being generous and giving to God and giving to his church and all that, that's the easiest part to pass. And I could bring, I could line people up all around this room and come up on the stage and they would tell you story after story after story of when they passed the test with generosity and when they passed the test with tithing that God broke their life open in an unbelievable way. But that's not my point today. My point is that in Jesus's position here, what he was talking about, the financial piece was the least of it. He was talking about how we actually treat people and that you have the ability to create in your life a perpetual harvest of either mercy or judgment. You can create in your life a perpetual harvest of forgiveness or condemnation. And it all is dependent on what you give out. If you give out judgment, if you give out condemnation, if you give out and you want, listen, this is just normal human nature. We want mercy for us and justice for them. Father, give them what they deserve, but I need a little more forgiveness over here. Right? It's just natural. See, the truth of the matter is, is that all humans judge. Everyone judges. 
Is racism a problem? Sure. Uh, is economic inequality a problem? Sure. Gender inequality a problem? Sure. All of these things. There are, there are four major cultural divides. Race, gender, social status or economics, and religion. And the center of this, what fuels most divisions, is, is, is two things. Number one, fear. We fear what we don't understand and what we don't control. And number two, self-righteousness. Because we feel like in ourselves that we are better or we are superior or we are whatever in some ways. And we can fall into a trap of comparisonism. And so we treat someone else differently because somehow we feel like we are self-righteous. You know, the only people that Jesus couldn't save were the self-righteous. He literally said to them, you have no room in you for my word. Because they were so full of themselves. And, and, and I would love to say that, that you know, we are people and, and none of us ever judge. But if we're really honest, we probably can run across certain types of people. People that behave a certain way. People that we want. I mean, because listen, the closer you get to God, on, oftentimes... The better you get at being a good little Christian boy or a good little Christian girl, oftentimes the least grace or mercy you have for people that aren't as good as you. And you start looking down your nose at people who don't act the way. Come on, churches are horrible for this. They, churches are so bad at this at times. Is they have someone come in and the first, the first thing they want to do is try to conform that person to look and act and speak and talk like a Christian. As opposed to love them and let God be God. Uh, a gentleman that I met one time, I heard him tell a story. He's a pastor in Las Vegas. And a, a lady got saved in the city of Las Vegas and came into his church. She got saved, but she was the number one entertainer for adult men in the city. And she caught the vision of the church, and she became the number one giver in the whole church. And her industry was not godly. And the pastor literally, and she didn't dress right. And it was inappropriate the way she dressed. But the pastor literally said, guys, nobody judge her. Nobody tell her. Nobody change her. Everybody pray for her. And what happened is, without anyone telling, without anyone correcting, without anyone talking, without anyone saying, this lifestyle's a sin, your business is corrupt, without any of that, over time, the love of Jesus and the teaching of the gospel of Jesus began to transform her and the Holy Spirit began to inspire her to dress different, to talk different, to carry herself different, and she eventually walked away from her industry and got completely free. And the pastor, when I heard him tell the story, he was like, and honestly, it was a little bittersweet because, you know, our giving went down really, really bad, but by God, that's what we're, right? <laughs> Come on, guys, it's about loving people. It's not about changing people. See, I mean, even, it, it's true, it's true, it's, and this, it's, it's, this is the deal. N now, I, we got to tell people the truth, 
but we're not God. And it's not our job to change them and be some kind of sin sheriff that runs around and blows whistle and writes tickets and whatever. That's not our job. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts. Paul literally said this. Paul said, it means very little to me that you judge me. I don't even judge myself. Oh, that brings up a whole other thing. Because this judgment, this reaping of this curse of judgment is something that you can literally judge yourself. Is anybody else in here harder on themselves than they are on others oftentimes? Oh my gosh, I'm my biggest critic. I can be so hard on myself. And I've had to, through coming into this relationship with Jesus, learn that, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, and, and, I, and I hope nobody takes it and twists it and misuses it, but, but Jesus is a lot less concerned about you, whatever sin pattern you're currently dealing with than you are. You know why? Because he already paid for it. And not only did he already pay for it, but, but he, before you were ever formed, he saw the masterpiece, he created and spoke the masterpiece of your life. The beautiful, mosaic masterpiece of your life that had dark places and light places and it all worked together for good and it's this beautiful masterpiece that he sees the end of and he knows you may be dealing with this right now but if you just keep following him he's going to peel that stuff off of you in time and he's working you too he's the author and the finisher of your faith he's the one who began a good work in you and he will not leave it unfinished I'm not telling you these things to say hey just keep on sin and keep standing that no no no. pray and ask the holy spirit to teach you what he wants you to do and change the behaviors that he wants to change and if he hasn't convicted your heart yet then just keep following him and keep seeking him and allow him to do that now i can tell you i've had some really good buddies i've had some really good friends at times that would come to me and say hey bro i'm your friend i gotta tell you i've watched some of this in your life and I think that this is a habit or this is a pattern that's going to cause destruction. I wouldn't be your friend if I didn't tell you. That's not judging. That's loving. See, we can't speak the truth in anger. And we can't be so loving that we don't speak the truth. The teaching is that we are to speak the truth in love. We tell the truth in a loving, non-judgmental way. I want to take you to a, a verse in scripture because this, this idea of judgment is, is, is so dangerous. There's actually a place in Proverbs chapter 6 verse 16 says this, these six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Watch this. The number one thing that he hates, a proud look. What's next to it? A lying tongue. What's next to it? Hands that shed innocent blood. Watch this. It's horrific what we've seen in our culture. Where sick and demonized young men go in and slaughter innocent lives. It's horrific. But in God's list, a proud, haughty, judgmental look is on the same playing field. How easy is it for us to see someone? And listen, like I said before, 
the, the better you get at obeying all the Christian rules, the easier it is to look down your nose. The better, the better you get at doing good business and, and having good credit and, and running and managing your life on, a, on an excellent level and living in financial freedom, the easier it is to look down at somebody who's not doing it and judge. We don't know, what, we don't know their story. Can, can, I, can I be honest? I, I, in my lifetime, I've had a really hard time with this. I spent a whole lot of my life pretty darn cocky and arrogant. And, and the Lord had to humble me in a lot of ways. See, I was a, I was a performer. I, I was a competitor. And everything to me was a competition. Everything to me was about high-level performance. Do the best I can possibly do. It's part of my makeup. It's part of who I am. But the problem is when you, when you begin to apply that into your spiritual life, it puts you on a fast track to become a Pharisee who's really good at all the rules, and you perform and you compete, and then you look at all the people that you do better than. And it wasn't, listen, what broke me of that is... is is, is when I performed and I competed with my spiritual faith and all of my fasting and all of my abstaining and all of the different things that I did to, to try to prove to God that he had to heal my daughter. And then when she didn't live, I had abstained from everything and it didn't work. And I went from this type of lifestyle where I'm doing everything right to saying... Forget it all. None of it even matters. And I swung all the way over here. And I was living a crazy, reckless life. Because I had created my relationship with God to be all about my performance and what he owed me because of how good I lived. And so when it didn't work for me, I swing to the far other place. And you know what I found? You know what I found? Is that when I was at my worst, my darkest, my most wretched, my most sinful, he met me there. He was merciful to me there. He was kind to me there. And he drew me back to this place where I have a balance. And I no longer practice my religion to get a cause and effect from God. My faith is now no longer caught up in whether or not my prayer gets answered or this or that. If, not, if, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket, I love him. If I lose everything in my life, I'll follow him. You understand that? It's unconditional faith. God is calling us to have, this is what he says in scripture. This is the type of faith that pleases me in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith that believes that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Who just don't quit following him. Who just don't give up on him. To believe that he is no matter what and to believe that he's good no matter what. That's the faith that pleases him. Come on, you can clap for that's the truth of Jesus Christ right there. Now, in the Jewish culture, the Jewish culture was rife with, with prejudice. I, I mean, think about this. The, the Jews were, were called clean, and everyone else was unclean. 
all of their practices, it was way more than racism. It was like religious racism. Because it had to, and actually it wasn't even necessarily about the race or color of your skin because there were Jews of all different colors and all different nationalities. But anyone that didn't practice the Jewish laws was filthy and unclean and they couldn't even associate with them, do business with them, or even eat with them. In Acts chapter 10, there's a story where Peter, who was one of the main leaders of Jesus' disciples in the church at this time, had an encounter. There was a, a, an, an Italian military centurion named Cornelius, who according to this scripture in Acts chapter 10, verse about 5, an angel was sent to him, and the angel said, Cornelius, he's not Jewish. He doesn't practice all of the Jewish laws. In fact, he practices none of the Jewish laws. But he had two things going for him. The angel said, your prayers and your giving have come up as a memorial before God. You don't think your giving's important? Watch what happens in this story. You don't think your prayer life is important? Watch what happens in this story. Here's a guy who has no covenant with God, but he believes in him anyway. He's the wrong nationality. He, he's the wrong color. He's the wrong religion. But he believes in God anyway. And so he practices two things. Prayers and generosity. And it gets God's attention. And God sends an encounter to Peter. And Peter is on the roof. He goes up, verse 9, up on the roof to pray the very next day. Cornelius had been told by this angel, send some of your men to go get the man named Simon uh, Peter, who's staying in a, in a certain man's house, and he's in Joppa, and bring him here, and he'll tell you what you must do. So Peter, unbeknownst to him, he just goes up to pray, and he has this encounter with God. He has a vision with God, and in the vision, he sees what looks like a sheet, like a bed sheet, being lowered down from heaven, and it has all of the unclean and dirty animals that Jews are not allowed to eat on it. All type of filthy animals that most of us enjoy, like bacon. Mm. All of these animals that were filthy, dirty to Jews. And God says, hey, Peter, rise up, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no way. Absolutely not. That's filthy. That's disgusting. That's against our laws. I'm not doing that. No way, God. I've never, I have never been unclean like that. Three times he has the exact same vision. Kill and eat. Kill and eat. No, absolutely not. When the vision ended, there was a knock on the door and these men from Cornelius' house showed up. And God speaks to him and says to, 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 uh, to, to Peter, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. There are these men that are coming. I want you to go with them. And so he goes on the mission. He takes a few of his Jewish friends. They go on the journey all the way to Caesarea. Those of you that are going to go with us on our Israel trip in February, we're going to be going both to Joppa. We'll go to the, what they believe is the house where Peter had this encounter. It's really, really, really cool. And then we'll go up the coast to Caesarea, this exact same route. This is the route that Peter goes on. And he gets there, and Cornelius falls down at his feet and starts worshiping him. And Peter says, get up, get up, get up. I'm just a man. Now, what do you want from me? And so Cornelius tells him the story. And so Peter says, 
This is what God has told me. That I'm not to call anyone unclean that he has made clean. So apparently he's doing something with the Gentiles. And he actually says to them in verse 28, I believe. This is what he says. This is his opening to his message. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go with anyone of other, other, another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Peter literally says, it's, it's filthy to me. I'm breaking my ceremonial law to even come in your house. That's pretty insulting, right? This guy, Cornelius, is a high-level military official. He's the stuff. He's a wealthy man. He's a powerful man. And Peter's opening thing is, you know very well that you're dirty to me. But God's messing with me right now. And he goes on and begins to share the gospel. And watch this. This is in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard. And those of the circumcision, the Jews who believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And Peter said, can anyone forbid water or water baptism that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. God had to shake Peter and wake him up to break him out of the racist judgmentalism that he had lived in his entire life and demonstrate the great commission message that these are the signs that will follow those that believe Peter. And one of them was they'll speak in other tongues. So Peter couldn't deny, these people received the Holy Spirit just like we did. These people are speaking in tongues just like we are. We got the, God is doing something different. Because God loves all people. Last week I, I had a dream. And it was, it was a horrible dream in the beginning. I, um, I walked into a house. I'm, I'm going to give you a very G-rated version. This dream was horrific. It was so bad in the beginning. And I walk into this house, and the people is a married couple, a man and a woman. But instantly in the dream, I knew that they lived an absolutely filthy, disgusting lifestyle. Their children were all over. There was a television on, big, like 80-inch, huge television. And it had disgusting, horrific things on the television. And these people were brazen about their lifestyle. They were brazen about what they were doing. And even the effect that they were having on a future generation. They weren't just perverse people. They were trying to proliferate the agenda in the earth. And I was enraged in my dream. I was angry in my dream. And I literally, I, I wanted to call the cops. I wanted to have them, I wanted to have them prosecuted to the nth degree. I, I literally, I, so badly, I just had this rage in my dream. And all of a sudden, the Lord got a hold of my heart. And he said, Joel, they're lost and they need me. And so in my dream, I started just to love them. And I invited them to church. And they said, yes. And they came to Oaks Church. And you started loving them. And they were radically saved. And their children were radically saved. And the whole thing was turned around. And no one told them to change. Everyone just loved them. And I woke up from that dream and I was so moved and convicted because it wasn't about race, it wasn't about gender, it wasn't about socioeconomics. 
it was their sin that was so disgusting and repulsive to me that I felt like there's no hope for these people. They're too disgustingly wicked. And in the dream, God showed me not, Joel, if you'll create a culture that will love, that will embrace, that will invite, that will accept. The only thing I did, the only thing I told them as I told them a story of the woman that was caught in adultery and, she, and was brought before Jesus, and I told them about the love of Jesus and how Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn. Can you think? Look at that. Jesus said, I'm not even going to judge you. I'm not even going to judge you. Here's the love. I'm not going to judge you. Now, here's the truth, but go and sin no more. See the picture? See the balance? I'm going to love you. I'm not going to judge you, but I'm also going to tell you the truth. Because this lifestyle is going to set you up for destruction. Guys, what could, happen if, what could happen if we as the people of God at Oaks Church literally began to go on a mission to love people like God loves people? To stop trying to change people? To stop looking down our nose at people? We don't do it on purpose. It's just part of human nature. You know, it's actually, God actually said in the Bible, in 1 Samuel, he said, man looks at the outside, but I look at the heart. It's our human nature to look at the outside and make a judgment. Prejudice is human nature. We look at someone and we judge them. Oh, listen, girls do this all the time. I'm like, I cannot believe she is dressed like that. Mm, she needs Jesus. She does. And you're supposed to love her and introduce her, right? Come on, guys. Humans can be so cruel. We're called to love. We need to learn how to see and say God's perspective about people. See and say God's perspective. I'm going to give you three very practical steps. Number one, do your best with all people to find a place of common ground. Find a place of unity. We can't start, we can, we're never going to win people out of a place of disunity. We've got to find a place of unity. Find something that you like and appreciate and speak to that. See them from God's perspective. Number two, shine appropriate light. We're called to be salt and light, but we have to learn how to recognize that there are certain people that need a really bright light and certain people that we got to dim it up a little bit. And we baby step them in. We're called fishers of men. We can't go fish with dynamite. We, we, we can't go spotlighting. Blind them. Get in the truck. I mean, that. Spot. Some of you hunters know what spots. Illegal. Can't blind the deer and then shoot them. But, that, but so many people, it's like their, their Christianity is is. So aggressive and so abrasive. And they, they offend because the light isn't appropriate for that individual. That's why Paul said, I have learned how to be all things to all men so that I might win some. You won't win them all, but you can win some. Finally, be patient in the process. I'm going to finish with one last story. I know I'm going a little bit long, but this is a good one. I have a doctor that I've had for, I'm going to say, almost 17 years now. I'm going to call him Dr. Rock. That's what I call him. 
and because he, he's, he's a young guy's my age, very successful, wealthy guy, wild man, partier, and a great doctor, but, but, but had a wild lifestyle, good guy. And I just, I just loved him, and I made friends with him, and this guy would make fun of me, call me a Bible banger. He's my doctor. Call me a holy roller. He literally went, the multimillionaire. He went into his own garage. He bought a rolling pin. He spray painted it gold. He bedazzled it, put jewels all over it, and gave it to me for my birthday because I'm a holy roller. You got a little, little time on your friend, if you're time on your hands, if you're going to bring me a holy roller, rolling pin. I just laughed, loved him. Ten years went by. He called me one day. He said, Hey, Joel, I, I need help. He'd gone through multiple marriages. He, he was living a life that was kind of like a movie, an adult one. Wild life. He said, I need you to come to my house and pray. I said, really? He goes, yeah, it's, it's pretty serious. Will you come tonight? Yeah, I'll be there tonight. I show up at his house about 9 o'clock, 9.30. He begins to tell me the story of this last woman that he was married to that, that he said she has had a demon. His name was Raymond. I'll tell you the demon's actual name. It's his real name. You can go. She, literally, this is a true story. He ha, she had a demon. Her name is Raymond. It was a horrible marriage. She's gone, but the demon stayed. And I'm tormented every day in my house. Because this demon is in my house and he's, mis he's mischievous. He's doing things all over my house. And, and, I, and I said, listen, I said, we're going to take care of this demon. But the first thing we need to do is I need to know where you're at with God. Are you ready to get your life right? And I got to lead this man to Christ in his living room. And then I got to go throughout his house with, with olive oil and anoint his house and, and literally cast the demon out of his house. And he never had a problem with it again. And this man, literally, he said, this is what he said to me. He said, I'm so sorry to call you over here so late at night. I'm so sorry to bother you with this. And I said, no, no, no. I said, this is the moment I've been waiting for for 10 years. This is my moment, man. Come on, guys. It's not about hitting them over the head and, and throwing them in the church. It's about shining the light and loving them and getting God's perspective on them. This guy, he literally told me, he said, Joel, after this, he said, Joel, I have wasted a million and a half dollars cash in the last 18 months living wild, the most unbelievably wild, horrific life you could ever imagine. He goes, but now God has showed me a purpose for my wealth. And over the last, uh, la the last few years that transpired, this gentleman had given over, the last time I looked, had, been, had given over a half a million dollars to the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's just, the, that's just the part I knew about. Unbelievable. He says, God has given me a purpose for my wealth. And God turned him all around. He's like, it's all God's. Everything's God's. My whole life is God's. Come on, guys. You have no idea who you might affect just by loving people. Just by loving people praying for people, getting God's perspective, shining appropriate light, and then in your moment, you maximize your moment. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.